Amen. Follow me around, would you please, and tell me when my mic is on. I don't want you to miss a moment of this. Let's start over again. Will you all please stand? No, no. I was... What do you know about Ur? Ur of the Chaldees. I have found that when I read a Bible verse or a Bible passage, that something will interest me. And if I start to dig a little bit in that detail, I usually find there is so much being said without being said. Ur of the Chaldees. That's the home of Abraham. That's where he heard God's voice to come out. Ur of the Chaldees. Now, how's your ancient history? All right, so you probably know, because you remember from high school, that Chaldees and Ur are two different times in human history. They knew that then. They were saying that on purpose. There's something going on. Chaldees, that's part of the Babylonian Empire. The nation of Ur, which was part of the Neo-Sumerian Empire, which was the descendant of the Akkadian Empire. You remember all this, right? Hang with me. So it's part of the Neo-Sumerian Neo Akkadian Empire. The fact that Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees is kind of the Jewish writers at the time because they were probably in Babylon going, huh, our progenitor, the person who made us a great nation was in fact nobility among the Babylonian Empire because the Neo-Sumerian Empire was eventually replaced by the Babylonian Empire, and it was the Babylonian Empire that conquered the nation of Israel and brought them into slavery, from which God returned them, echoing how God had brought the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, who had been in slavery in Egypt, back to their nation. Now, what made Ur Ur? I always wonder that. I learned that when I was living in Phoenix. We would talk about why cities were where they were. And if you look at most cities, there's rivers or there's natural mountain passageways. There's usually some kind of reason that a city is where it is, except for Phoenix. <laughs> Phoenix is just kind of in the middle of the desert. It's, it's getting to be a problem. Ur was right on the coast of the Persian Sea. 
It's not anymore. It's now very far inland. But in those days, the Persian Sea was further inland. And Ur was the coastal city. It was the southernmost of the cities that were part of the Akkadian Empire. And you remember who ruled over the Akkadian Empire, don't you? Sargon. Sargon. Sargon, who's the one who invented empire. That's really important. Sargon shows up. We're reading from chapter 12 in Genesis. Sargon shows up in chapter 10 in Genesis under the name of Nimrod. So Nimrod is there. Sargon is there. It was Sargon who invented empire. And empire, as Sargon invented it, was an economic structure. What empire was, was a way of creating colony cities and having them send their wealth to the capital city, to Sargon. And if they got any ideas that they shouldn't do that, they had extravagant response, extravagant violence. And, and Sargon has these enormous mountain steelies put up, which shows him smiting people because they revolted against him. Don't you do that, he was saying. The fact that Abraham was a very wealthy man living in Ur, which was part of that empire at the time, and that God spoke to him and said, come out. And you note the detail. Abraham came out with his many possessions and the people that he owned. He came out with his possessions and the slaves that he had, and he traveled to the Holy Land. And there, a story of Israel began to be told. A story of Israel that would have Abraham's descendants eventually go down into Egypt and become slaves themselves. And it was out of that experience that God was able to bring them out in the Exodus, make them into a nation in the Sinai, and plant them as a different kind of nation. Not an empire, but a different kind of nation. And they become a word to the world about how to be in relationship with God. Not to extract things from other people, but how to be a place of compassion and truth, how to stand for justice, how to be a place that had the Lord as your king, the Lord God as your king, and not a human being. That was a huge idea in that time. So, write that down. Earth the Chaldees, Abraham, a lot of money. Off he goes, and he comes back. His descendants land in the land. Now, of course, after the Babylonians, do you remember who's the empire after the Babylonians? Well, eventually it's the Hasmoneans, but that's because of Alexander the Great, who comes out of Macedonia and conquers everybody, and the Hasmoneans set up, and then who comes after Alexander the Great and the Macedonians? The Romans, right? The Roman Empire. And at the time of Matthew, the Romans are in charge. Matthew's a tax collector. Matthew's a wealthy man, too. Matthew is a man who has made his money by participating in the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was just the same kind of thing, really, as the, the Chaldean Empire and the, the Empire of the Babylonians, the Empire of the Akkadians and the Neo-Sumerians. Extravagant violence and wealth and money. Do you know why Rome is where Rome is? It's a kind of interesting question. Rome is where Rome is because where Rome is is a whole bunch of rivers 
and mountains and it was a natural transportation hub. Think about Rome and think about New York City. Think about Rome, think about London. These are places where kind of a, a world view, a worldliness begins to be born. And they are also the centers of large-scale economic activity. Jesus sees Matthew and he says, follow me. And Matthew gets up and he follows him. And this is shocking because he's a tax collector. He's a collaborator. He is participating in the subjugation of his people. They have a God emperor. That was a profound offense to the Israelite people who believed that their emperor, their Lord, was God Almighty, not a human person. And yet, Jesus calls him and he responds. People see it, they get all upset. What's he doing eating with tax collectors and sinners? And he says, I have come to call the sinful, not the righteous. That'd be a great sermon. But that's, but that's not all. There's more. Because right after that happens, Matthew explains what it means by having two stories of healings occur. There's the story of the healing of a woman with a hemorrhage and the story of the healing of the president of the synagogue's daughter. A woman with hemorrhage was someone who would have been ritually unpure, pushed to the edge of society, unclean, in their minds, a sinner. And the daughter of the president of the synagogue, well, that's an insider. That's someone who is faithful and pure and deserves salvation. And Jesus heals both. He calls the sinners to him. And in doing so, he begins to send a message that all are welcome to come out of unjust systems and be part of a new way of being human. And that in doing that, you can find salvation. You can be healed whether you have been pushed to the outskirts of society or whether you are an insider. In God's mind, there is the possibility and the hope of reconciliation between all of us. We don't talk an awful lot about forgiveness in the church. I wish we did more. You know you're forgiven, but I gotta tell you, I have told people they are forgiven, and I've told them again and again, and they nod their head, but in their heart they say, oh, but I'm not really forgiven. <laughs> I'm really sinful, if you just knew. God knows, and God doesn't care. God loves you anyhow. You are forgiven, and you are restored, and God is even now reconciling you to your neighbor. And that's really important, because that's good news. That's the best news, that God loves you and is restoring you. And that's what we're all here about today. That's the point of the church. That's why we sing these songs. That's why we gather on Sundays, because we want to tell people. We want to tell people that you are loved, whether you are rich or poor, whether you are an insider or an outsider, whether you believe it or not, you are loved. And that love, that love allows you to be reconciled to the other people that God loves. And that's the promise. Look, we're pretty divided. We're divided as a nation. We're divided as a world. We are divided economically. We're divided 
ideologically. But in Jesus, in Jesus, if we can believe that God loves us, really loves us, and that Jesus wants us to be in relationship with him and with each other, we can find our unity. Archbishop Nundangani, the former uh, Archbishop of Southern Africa, used to say that in Anglicanism, we find our unity because we don't look at our neighbor who's probably annoying us. We look at Jesus. We keep our attention into the center where Jesus is. And by keeping our attention on Jesus, we can find that we become one people. Abraham was called out of Ur. He was called out of a structure that he was a part of. And in that journey, he becomes a remade nation. His children become a light to the world. And when they erred, Jesus came into the world, God incarnate, to tell us how God was going to save not just the children of Israel, but all of us, and bring us as one human family into relationship with one another. Now, those of you who are being confirmed today, you're going to say, as part of your vows, that you believe that Jesus is Lord, and you're going to reject essentially the unjust structures of this world. That's one of the Anglican marks of mission, by the way, that we remake the unjust structures of the world. And in doing that, you are placing yourself right in that room with Matthew and all the other people, and Jesus is coming in and saying, follow me, and today you are saying, I will. And those of you who are being received, you're saying, I am now. <laughs> I am doing this again, right? It's not that you're being reconfirmed, what it is is that you've decided you're going to walk with this group for a while. And we're going to find our common ministry and purpose together as we go out into the world to say, you truly are loved. You truly are loved. And because you're loved, you can step away from the things which hurt and corrupt and destroy the creatures of God. You'll hear that in our baptismal covenant. It's a huge thing, and it's a powerful thing. It's what we're for. That's what we believe. And that calls us to make hard decisions sometimes. And that calls us sometimes to journey together for a while, and sometimes to recognize that we have to walk apart. Sunil. <laughs> no. I was honored when you were called as rector to be here for your installation. And I am sad, but present, for that day when God has called you to a new ministry in the church. We have journeyed together as a people to gather people into this community to proclaim that Jesus is in fact our Lord and that we are going to order our lives around his lordship. And now you are going on taking some of the gifts of this place with you to share them in a new context. Just as you brought the gifts from your previous congregations in New Jersey and all over the world into this place. And you have made us stronger because of your ministry among us. And we hope we have made you stronger because we have been able to walk beside you in this time. We'll have a little bit more to say about that at the end of the service. But that's how the Christian journey works. That's how the Christian journey works. We walk alongside one another 
learning from one another, believing that we are loved and reconciled to one another. And then as God calls us, we take our, our leave and we go on proclaiming the good news that we have found. You hear that in Paul writing to the Romans, Paul writing all over the Mediterranean Sea. But that is our gift, that is our call. That's what Christianity is about. Proclaiming that good news, that you are forgiven and you are loved, and insisting on it even when people won't believe it. Because you really, really are. I'm the bishop, I know. <laughs> I'm telling you, you should listen to me. God really does love you. God really does love you. God adores you. God is infatuated with you. God is endlessly fascinated with you and everything about you. Please believe that because you can put all that other stuff to the side as a result and you can be a shining example to this city, to this state, and we together to this nation and to the world. It just takes a little bit of faith, as Paul writes, a little bit of faith to believe it's really true to change the whole world. Abraham. Abraham left and became a great nation. Matthew left and became an apostle of which we are his heirs. What will God do with your gift of faith and your act of obedience? Amen. Amen. Amen.